This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing on in our 25th year of Raven's history, or 25 years of Raven's history uh, podcast. We look back at various aspects, and I know we're not looking for the Mount Rushmore's in this thing. We're not looking for lists of greatest Ravens ever. What we're trying to do is look at some of the um, trends and some of the interesting players and some of the great stories that may have been forgotten, some of the individual games. So if you have an idea for one, please give me a call. Tonight, have a great guest for you, Ed Lupp. Ed, how you doing? Uh, life's good. Is that what we say around here? That's a, that's a good one. You're not stealing my thing because Josh has to ask me for me to say it. So that's great. Uh, Ed, Ed came uh, to me and said, hey, why don't we talk about the plan behind the 2018 draft? I think it's a great thing. Obviously, that 2018 draft was one of the greatest in NFL history, I'd say, at this point. It better be. Or it turned out <laughs> that way for a couple of the guys. We'll, we'll get to them. All right. All right. So uh, a lot of stories behind this draft. Obviously, uh, Ozzie Newsom's last as a Raven. But Ed, why don't you take us through and kind of how you want us to lay this out for us? I want to point out the irony that you were talking about, let's say, Ravens greats. And yet Lamar Jackson is in this draft and kind of the focal point of this draft, actually. It was a big highlight. You know, ESPN took about an hour for it. So the draft actually started with what was ultimately going to be pick number 16 with Hayden Hurst which Mm -hmm. didn't turn out to be Hayden Hurst. It turned out to be a series of tradebacks. I'm sure you remember that. And I think there was a certain player that you and I were both screaming for at that point. Yeah, we, we, we both wanted Derwin James. I felt he's a player you rebuild your defense around if you can get him, even if he didn't exactly match what the Ravens needed at the time. But uh, he was a player I loved. And I thought the other guy, in fact, was in this draft that, that matched those characteristics was Minka Fitzpatrick, who'd already been taken. Uh, and another guy a lot of other teams liked was Terrell Edmonds, who was also available when the Ravens selected at 16. Not who I would have picked, but uh, you know, was a player a lot of other teams like picked for uh, that could have been traded for value, I thought. 
And I certainly agree with that. So I do remember that Eric DaCosta later said in an interview, if Hayden Hurst wasn't ultimately the selection, it would have been Derwin James at 16. But the value prop was too good. So they move back and then Hayden Hurst becomes the first selection in this draft who is no longer with the Ravens. Yeah, a lot of people wanted a wide receiver. There's a lot of screaming on draft day for that, that Calvin Rid- Ridley and DJ Moore were both guys that that would be good. And they would have still had a chance at Ridley at 25 when they drafted. 25, right? I think that's right. That's correct. Um, but but, but uh, I think Ridley might have been drafted 26. But DJ Moore, I believe, had already been drafted in the top 22, 23 range. And uh, anyway, didn't have a chance at him. But uh, there is one common characteristic that you and I are both very familiar with, that is that everybody wants wide receivers in round one or skill position players in general. They tend to, but what actually happened is this draft started a trend that happened for the next three years where the Ravens double dipped in wide receivers. So Mm -hmm. they later would pick Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley, who was my guy. And (laughs) it didn't turn out so well, unfortunately. I guess practice squad heroes are okay. His, his football ended up the same way with Yertle the turtle ended up in the in the bottom of the the pod. So Great analogy. Uh, yeah, there you go. So you, you got that. You've you've got kids. There you go. How many of your listeners are like can relate to that one? I, I gotta I, wonder. I don't know. so hey that's okay so this actually became an offensive centric draft for the top four in comparison to what 2017 was which was defensive oriented for the same style whereas Mm -hmm. like the year before there was humphrey bowser i think tim williams was in there i don't even know if he's in the league anymore uh yeah i don't know either actually he he was on somebody's uh, practice squad or team last year according to this tim williams is still in the league but i'm not sure where he's playing at present okay so then let's say the shift happens to where we're going to go all offense and it's going to basically steer clear of, let's say Joe Flacco or compliment him in some ways until the Lamar Jackson offense comes into play. So after the big trade up with Philadelphia, I recall to get to 32, they pick Lamar Jackson. And I think the entire NFL knows that story at this point. Yeah. One thing that's an interesting component of this is whether or not the Ravens really needed to, hold on to some of the draft capital from the two trade downs that led eventually to Hearst in order to trade up to get Jackson. And in truth, they traded their second round pick from this year and their second round pick from 2019 to move up to get it. So they wouldn't have needed it directly for Jackson. They might not have had draft capital for a Brown or an Andrews later if they had, uh, you know, pulled the trigger on Derwin James at number 16. I sense the same thing as well. And I believe also a couple of the teams that ended up within those trades had a trade via via, as they would say, where mm-hmm. they parlayed it backwards. There you go. All right. So I'm sorry. We, we get to the third round, another big round for the Ravens. And they, and they pick two guys, Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews, obviously both great value selections. Yes. And it turns out that actually Orlando Brown, obviously now in the Chiefs, and he was picked 10 spots after the Chiefs picked Derek Nottie. So this could have actually happened the other way around, but it didn't. And it actually worked, I guess, to both teams' favors. <laughs> it certainly worked to the Ravens' favor to get Orlando Brown for these years, I think that's fair to say, and, and to get good value out of him in a trade. Uh, it brings us to one of the other things about this draft is the, the Ravens had such a historically great draft with, what, a 12 total picks, and nine of them are really fine players for somebody at this point. Uh, it might be more than that, actually. But but uh, the Ravens had to unstack this draft in terms of contracts because you can't sign that many guys to second contracts at one point. I feel like and there's they a big contract. To, yeah. 
Yes, the big contract, Zach Sealer, right? Yeah, he was the first. There you go. Of the of the guys to get a second contract, did it with Miami. Uh, you know, so deep in defensive depth that the Ravens tried to move into the practice squad and, and didn't get away with it. And uh, unfortunately, that's been the way with a number of Ravens linemen over the years. And if we were to, let's say, go, let's say, back up in the draft, there's a gentleman that is playing now for a second contract, Anthony Averett, and mm-hmm. he's probably going to get it. Probably he's a good chance to get it. But, I mean, you talk through the guys. Lamar Jackson is is not necessarily on the same year as everybody else because he actually has a one-year deferral with the fifth-year option. But if you look at the other players, Orlando Brown was was scheduled to get a contract. Mark Andrews certainly is now has already signed. Anthony Averett uh, is in – you know, in position to to get it. Uh, Kenny Young was, of course, traded. I don't think that that he is an obvious second contract player. Uh, although the Rams may may certainly think so now. Deshaun Elliott now a chance to get a second contract. Uh, Greg Sinat now is playing well for the Browns in the preseason, and you know he's a developmental player. So this is about the time where he should be coming around. Of course, Bradley Bozeman. We probably think he should be uh, resigned with the Ravens, or at least I do. And I agree with you. They should pay him actually a decent amount of money. Is even if something happens with the center position, he can. He's still the best pulling guard on the team. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true right now. I, I you know, I do, I do like Cleveland's athleticism, but we don't need to go into that. I, lo- I, I love what Bozeman has done, uh, and and I think he's very deserving of a second contract. I, I wonder if the Ravens are going to be able to afford all the players they'd like to, but he, Bozeman is certainly deserving. I agree, one hundred percent. So, you, but you, we were talking about a deeper plan with this. I think that was part of the show ideas. Is that it was also DaCosta handing over the uh, sorry, uh, Ozzy handing over the reins to DaCosta. Yes, and I see it as kind of let's say a twofold thing because Greg Roman was on his way to Baltimore, and Greg Roman's offense was not built for Joe Flacco, at least unless he's insanely fast and nobody knows. That'd be amazing, <laughs> but you know that's okay. So with, the, <laughs> with two of the first four picks, they've got two tight ends. And that is the big thing in the Baltimore offense is running just a bunch of tight ends. New England is probably the only rival to that, and they don't run the same style of offense. So when we think, okay, the reins are going to be handed over, DaCosta is going to have basically a front line to work with as opposed to building backwards from the defense. Like it's been tradition for that secondary. Yeah, and a, a very unusual period for the Ravens to take four consecutive offensive players with with uh, you know a trade up included and and two tight ends, a, a tackle, and a quarterback. That's a lot of offense, and you know, we've been the beneficiaries as Ravens fans of a historically uh, efficient offense these last uh, three years, really two thousand nineteen through twenty one now, and, and the reason is you know. Lamar Jackson and the other players from that 2018 draft are really at the heart of it. Yeah. And I'd say it more boils down to just time and time of possession. It's Mm -hmm. as if they figured it out. If we just keep the ball, we don't need this many people on defense. Right. I I mean, that's absolutely, absolutely true. Cause I express always efficiency on offense in terms of points per drive and time of possession. Of course, if you, if you allow the opponent fewer drives, you, you win, you can win that way too with, with, so same number of points, but in terms of points per drive, they've been among the, the historic teams, not just good, not just league leading, but they've really been historic over the last two years, even though they didn't have, a, you know, what was apparently a great year in 20 or anything, they're still ninth in the league in points per drive. They've been number one over the last two years combined uh, by a fair amount. I think it's something like by 0.14 points per drive over that period. So uh, 
you know, I think if, if you're not appreciating the Lamar Jackson offense right now, get, get on the bus. You know, get, uh, it's 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 time to time to get on board and really understand just how valuable he's been. I don't, a lot of people might take that to mean some other sort of bus that people should get on. I'm not saying that. Man, that's debatable. Yeah. <laughs> but at the very least, it's good that you recognize the points per drive. And I think that actually was a key number in the analytics that DaCosta really likes. And I, I'm sure that that has been communicated downwards to Harbaugh and the coaching staff is preach the analytics and follow it, follow the numbers, and you're going to get the results you want. Yeah, it's I, I you know they've been very forward thinking in terms of their willingness to go forward on fourth down and all that. I think that, that they've been ahead of the curve. Uh, we saw it again on on Sunday night. Just I'm sorry, on Monday night in terms of going forward on fourth and one in their own territory, uh, which is frankly an incredibly obvious mathematical decision. But Thank you. you know, it's been it's been pointed out by a number of people that that the NFL is not there yet. That that you know they they don't all look at it that way, and they look at the the risk of being wrong about something like that, uh, and 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 going to lose the game. But I think in truth, if he hadn't have gone for it, and the analytics people had come out and, and really shown that hey, it's about twenty five percentage points better chance to win the game, Harbaugh, if they had lost that game by punting, should have really been raked over the coals for it. I agree. And I don't think that the account is active anymore on Twitter, but it used to actually measure the cowardness of a yes. punt. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they do still do that. They have, so they have the most cowardly punts of the year and whatnot, but that w- this would have been one of the most cowardly punts. For, for Absolutely. Sure. Great follow, by the way. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's keep talking plan. And I want this to be, you know, your, your presentation here of how you want to talk about this. What's, what's next about this plan? I, I think what's next actually is with the second contract analysis. So we've got, you know, Deshaun Elliott as well playing really well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And we drafted him in the sixth round. Is this a, a value prop sort of thing? Or were they just thinking, you know what, he's just the best available. Let's develop him. Uh, you know, it's a good question because we didn't see his development occur in the normal manner because he missed his first two years. So whatever he was learning, he was learning at the facility in the meeting room, maybe, but not, you know, in terms of, of on-field live fire for most of those first two years. I didn't actually remember that. I'm glad you did. <laughs> he's a, he's a uh, you know, player that I would love to see the Ravens sign long-term. And I think, you know, given his injury history, he's the kind of guy that's perfect for this sort of thing. Bozeman probably is too. Skura honestly was as well. You know, a guy who, who, uh, can see the value and a divisible, divisible benefit, and and it's not clear that he's going to make a ton of money if he goes to free agency. So instead, you want to make sure you get some kind of second contract remuneration, and you know that usually is good for both sides. You know he gets he gets a security of maybe a three year, ten million dollar deal, let's say, instead of trying to really break the bank for six or seven million dollars a year, probably not that much, but five to seven million dollars a year maybe uh, if if he goes at the end of this year. I think five is more reasonable if he pushes the market. And honestly, I, I think that for what the Ravens have offered, especially with the Justin Houston comment of it's different here in Baltimore, mm-hmm. or it's better for that matter. And I mean, he talks to him. I, th- I think he'll yeah. stay. Yeah. It, it, I, you know, I'd love to love to see it right now. The Ravens so pushed up against the cap. It's probably gonna have to wait till the end of the year is my guess, but, uh, but definitely, uh, I'd be very excited to hear that, that he were done. Who's who of the players, who's the next most important design? Obviously Lamar's number one. Anders is already done. Who, who in, in your order among Averett 
Elliott and Bozeman, who I, I think we'd agree are the next three biggest. Who? What's your one, two, three of those? Bozeman, number one. I, I, I'm 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 on board with Bozeman number one. And then, do you, would you Elliott or Averett? Which one is more important to sign? Averett now. If okay. Elliott was, let's say, replacing Clark with the green dot, I'd actually mm-hmm. flip it. Okay, that's a great point. And and you know, Elliott right now, I think would be the next guy with the green dot as the as the lineup is right now. I think it's going to stay at safety. So it really would have to be either Elliott or Stevens who got the got the green dot next if anything happened to Clark. Uh, don't even want to think about it, frankly, because Clark I think has done so much. But uh, but yeah, there. I, I don't see it going to inside linebacker at this point. I feel like Chris Collinsworth would argue with you because all last week he kept saying that Brandon Stevens was all over the field and he meant it in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't see it that I, way. Oh, okay. Well, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I think I might be agreeing with Collinsworth that if I'm saying that, that I think Stevens would be, uh, you know, in line after, after Elliot to get Elliot's been here for several years. So he would clearly be first, but you know, if yes. you, if, if there were a problem with both of them, I think they go ahead and give it to Stevens. I don't think they, I don't think they'd give it to an inside linebacker because I think Wink values that versatility. When's the last time a rookie had the green dot? Mosley. Not Ray Lewis. Um, so I got to think back. Um, Mosley got the green dot in, yes, in about the sixth game of the year. He got it at Tampa Bay in 2014. So, yeah, I think he was the last one. Okay. Yeah, they, they didn't have anybody else. So, also, Weddle had it. Clark got it as not a rookie. Yeah, there isn't anybody else. Got it. So, I guess in relation to the Mosley bring up is Kenny Young, an interesting pick in this draft because mm-hmm. he wasn't on the team very long. He got traded. And I think he was viewed as the coverage linebacker that I know that you've long desired for this organization. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to have a coverage linebacker, but basically I don't want to invest heavily in terms of draft capital on a three down linebacker, but young came with that reputation. And honestly, I think what he really was, was more of a fast downhill player, more in the, in the mold of Patrick queen, where he was good coming downhill and fast, uh, good sideline to sideline speed. Uh, but but never really developed the chops to be a guy who would understand what's going on behind him. That's unfortunate. And that, I wish I also could remember what they got for him in return. I'm hoping that you're oh, going to be Mar- Marcus Peters. He was part of the Marcus Peters trade. So, the, oh, the flip for Peters. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was a, a, you know, certainly of a, a value that they, they got there. That's part of the reason I think that Averett is such an important re-sign at this point right yes. now is – are you a little afraid that Marcus Peters might have played his last game as a Raven given what his contract is next year? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the last money they can access, I believe in terms of cap and they, they could restructure somebody. So they could, they've got other levers they could pull that they'd probably do first, but they could uh, extend Peters or um, move some bonus forward. So he would, uh, or create some bonus. So, so he would create a little bit of cap this year and they haven't done it yet. And I think that might kind of be telling as well. I agree. And uh, you know what, though, with Wink's, uh, let's say, emphasis on dime defense, mm-hmm. Avery just makes too much sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I really also like what Wink's complicated pass rush does, how Peters is able to take advantage of that. 
uh, particularly against some some quarterbacks who are a little bit jittery. Yes. And, you know, he reads that very well in the interception against Wilson, the one in Cincinnati, uh, the one against the Rams when, when Goff was there uh, in 2019, all, all very much taking advantage of a quarterback who uh, it wasn't really very keen on uh, holding the football for an extended period. Uh, yeah, I could also go down memory lane further back and say, I think there was a draft when the Ravens wanted Marcus Peters and they ended up with yeah. this guy named Brashad Perryman. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't great, but it, but he also, he didn't last until the Ravens were there. It's not like That's the correct. kind of Derwin, Der, it's not the pain of Derwin James. It's uh, it's the pain of, of, of thinking, well, what if we traded up? And then you have to think, well, it probably would have been a lot to trade up. It would have been, yes. All right. So is there another component in terms of the plan in this draft that, that this was Ozzy handing over the reins to DaCosta in a different way? Uh, I, I can make one point about this is that I really like the fact that the last two players in this draft were small school picks. Uh, you know, they, actually, not two. Two of the last three, I guess, Greg Sinatra. Stop lying. And, and, Alabama. And Zach Sealer. Yes. Yeah. And Zach Sealer. Uh, we're, we're two small school picks from Wagner and, and where do you go to? Ferris State. Ferris State. Yeah. <laughs> D2 somewhere in whatever Michigan place. Yeah. yeah. Well, where I'm from, they keep calling it this, the state up north or something akin to that. Yeah. You're, not, you're not allowed to say yeah. that. All right. Michigan. The enmity is strong. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, I thought that of those two picks kind of as the first two picks of the DaCosta era, because it's really his small school scouting program that uh, was so prevalent during Ozzy's time and got us so many good young players like Lodarius Webb and whatnot, Brandon Williams, uh, who were, you know, lesser known prospects. Yes. And if I remember, there's something that DaCosta said when he took over the draft in 2019 is that day three is reserved for scouts. It's, he calls it scout day and it's pound the table day. Meaning when you find your guy, you pound the table for your guy, no matter what. And we're going to hear you out. And I, I kind of feel like at some point, Sanat and Sealer were one of those guys that a couple scouts did the same thing for. Yeah, I, I I don't doubt that for a second, and uh, uh, you know it's it's certainly the strength it's been. It's it's very cool to see those guys pick. I, you know, this is a, in two thousand twenty one draft, the two thousand twenty one draft. They didn't take any small school guys, and that really bothered me because I'm I'm looking at them saying, hey, this should be the acid test for what DaCosta believes in terms of his own scouts, his own scouting ability personally to identify small school talent, which hasn't really played. And, you know, we had a few guys taking that, a couple of North Dakota guys and the, and the uh, Wisconsin whitewater lineman minors, I think it is. And, and then the Northern Iowa guy, uh, the, the tackle, Spencer Brown, Spencer Brown. Uh, Spencer Brown was so, Buffalo, right? I, th- I thought Northern Iowa, but maybe I have the wrong guy. I meant the Buffalo Bills. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. You're probably correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a Buffalo University. So what do you there is, here? correct. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A- anyway, uh, it, what else about that 18 draft? I mean, obviously a magical thing, thoroughly worth reveling in. And yet, is there anything else about that draft that you would you would want to talk about? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I just wish it would have panned out for the wide receivers because I know that Ravens flock loves the wide receivers, and then the luck just didn't happen this year. They had to wait on. Yeah, it was. 
it was it was kind of a bummer. A couple couple college college guys who had some had some good hands there for certain. Jordan Lasley, a really disappointing kind of tail at the NFL level because it wasn't just in Baltimore that he bombed out in terms of uh, well flaked out I'll say in terms of throwing the ball into the pond and uh, I don't know what other issues there were but once you see that you kind of wonder and I don't remember what the other reported issue was in Oakland too when he got cut there I guess they must have found out he partied with Josh Rosen or something (laughs) okay (laughs) not going to touch that one (laughs) Uh, Ed, really appreciate having you on the show here. Great to talk football with you always, my friend. And, and uh, you're welcome on anytime, of course. But uh, tell folks where they can find your work and, and, and what you do on Twitter in particular. Uh, on Twitter, I mostly at this point now just give off the ball, like, ball commentary about football, boxing. Love me some boxing. Big fights this weekend, by the way. So mm-hmm. make sure you tune in for like DAZN and technically UFC has a pay-per-view. So I'm like, wait, this podcast will air after that. Later <laughs> soon. All right. Well, just bet the house on Valentina and call it a day. How about that? All right. So this is this. We'll just say right now, this is being recorded at nine twenty-five at twelve fifty-eight a.m. Right Thank now. Thank you. And that's when he's making that prediction. If it if uh, if this happens to air, she's Thursday a minus twelve hundred favorite. And it's <laughs> okay. Just too good. Yeah. Wait, you you would ever really tell someone to bet the house on a minus twelve hundred? Uh, you know what? For this matchup, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, it seems like I've, you know, I've lived through Tyson Douglas, and so have you. Uh, you know, I have. It's, it's, that that fight seems like it was yesterday. Here's what's really weird about that. It was the fight was in Japan, famously, and of course yes. Tyson, a prohibitive favorite. Um, the very next day, also in Japan, RG three was born. That gives you an idea of just how freaking old we are. Okay, wow. RG3, noted broadcaster RG3 at this point. <laughs> Very good, <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, was born the day after the fight. That fight seems like it was yesterday to me. I, I, I you know, My life has passed me by in just this way. Yesterday <laughs> to you, then when I look at the highlights of it on you know, like YouTube or something, it's all like yeah. a grainy feed, and I'm like, wow, when did this air? Yeah, how many times have you watched that fight? Uh, probably five at least. And I did watch the 30 for 30 they had on it or something very similar to that. All right. Very cool. Glad to hear you're a boxing fan. I still enjoy it when uh, once in a while, although the heavyweights aren't what they used to be. Uh, Ed, again, th- thanks for coming on. Can I ask you one you more thing, time. Ken? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Sure. What is the deal with how your theme song came about? Did you make that? The, the theme song at the beginning of the show? Yeah. And oh, how you're no, going to close it out? Jo- Josh picked it out. I really have no idea, okay. uh, you know, where we got it. So, what, you like the sound? Uh, yeah, it's actually catchy. And I'm like, I, I bet you they were just fiddling around with some stuff, and they just came up with it on their own. Uh, it, 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 it's <laughs> there was no work I did on it, so I'm not sure exactly where Josh uh, Josh Bruce cured it, but I'm sure it's a golden uh, opportunity to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ed. Great to talk to you, buddy, and we'll talk to you next time on film study. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.